0: Good morning church. Good to see you this morning even though we can't really see each other. We're apart from each other but we're together because uh, we have the technology to do that nowadays with all the stuff that's going on today in this world. I praise the Lord that uh, even though we have to uh, exercise social distancing, I praise the Lord for social media. Uh, Probably the first time I've ever said that. Um, But the fact of the matter is that this morning we're doing something a little different um, in that we're trying to do this video thing. So I'm so excited because I'm here with you guys and you're here with me and we're going to try to do Sunday morning just like we normally do. Um, For those of you who, uh, the, the difference is the fact that if you get tired, you can pause it. And then you can go do whatever you got you want to do and come back. And if you fall asleep and you know who you are at church, you can do that now. And you can still go back and pick it up again and and not miss anything. So what an amazing time we live in. Uh, we just know that we continue to pray for you. Uh, we're praying for all the stuff that's going on. Uh, continue to check our website, our Facebook, our Instagram. Um for updates of stuff that's going on so that you are aware of what's happening, share it with other people. Um, as a church, we've been trying to call one another just to encourage one another. Um, do the same. If there's people in your influence of spe- sphere, um, do the same thing. Call people up to see how they're doing. And so we're doing fine here at church. It is a little lonely, but I'm glad that we're able to do this this morning, and we're going to continue doing this until we meet again. Uh, together. And so we're excited for that. But this morning we have the great opportunity of opening up the Word of God to turn to the Word of God. We've been in the book of Acts. Uh, we're, uh, last time we were together in the book of Acts. We were in Acts chapter 17. Uh, this morning we will finish Acts 17. So if you will turn in your Bible to Acts 17 and we will pick up where we left off. So let's read our text this morning. We will read from verse 22 to the end of the chapter. So here we go. Verse 22 of Acts 17. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, "Men of Athens, I perceive that you I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through, And considering the object of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell in all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the lord in hope that they might grope from for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as also some of our pro, our, our poets have said we are for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought to not think that the nat- the divine nature, is of gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these things or these times of ignorance, God overlooks. But now commanded all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them was uh, Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Demaris and others with them. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the opportunity of opening up your word. And God, even as we share right now, Lord God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would have ears to hear, that you would give them understanding and wisdom, Lord God, through your word. And help me as I convey this message to uh, my brothers and sisters, that God, you would just help me in, in conveying what, what you've been sharing with me. And so, Lord, we we'll give you this time and we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go back to verse 22, where our text begins, where it says, And then Paul stood in the midst of the era opagus, um, and said, Men of Athens. If you remember the last time we, we were together, Again, Paul had had arrived to Athens, and 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 he is he now stood in the midst of this Areopagus, which is also known as Mars Hill, because he was brought there. He had been out in the marketplace. He had been sharing, and and he's not under arrest by any means. It's not like like they've they've taken him and arrested him because of what he's saying. If if nothing else, they were kind of intrigued, and so they brought him to this place that he would now sit before this council that, that oversaw all the, all the religious matters and philo- philosophical matters. He is there because he just didn't sit around and do nothing. He, he wasn't just waiting around because, because uh, Silas and Timothy haven't, haven't gotten to him yet. No, he put himself out there. He was out and about, and he was engaging with the people in the synagogue. And he also went out into the marketplace. In other words, he was where people were at, as we should always be. Well, except in these times that we are under lockdown, if you will, because of the virus that's going on. We, we, can't, we can't be out and among the people as we normally are being told to do it. And so, so in this time, because he had the freedom to be in and around the people, he was out Doing stuff, And what I'm tripping out about this time that we're kind of going through is that we're being told that we have to seclude ourselves, isolate ourselves, not do any social gatherings in a sense. And this is why I praise the Lord for the, for the social media that we have right now, because even though the new word that we are experiencing is social distancing, what, what we have the opportunity to do is social media. And so even though we can't be out and about with other people, we have the opportunity because of our phones, because of, of the internet, because of all these things that, that we do, that we can continue to put ourselves out there and minister to the people in this time. To be able to, to, to engage with people maybe like we've never have before. And so I love the, the, the point that, that here with Paul... He is putting himself out there. He's not just sitting down and doing nothing because Silas and Timothy hadn't come to him. He was out and about. And because of that, because he's out and about, he now has an open door to talk to these philosophers, these intellectuals. Now the good thing here is that Paul was able to do that because Paul himself is an intellectual. And I'm sure that Paul was not even intimidated by all of these philosophers and all these intellects that were around him that that had all these philosophies and all these gods that they worshipped. I could guarantee you Paul was not intimidated by any of them whatsoever. He would later share with the Corinthian church, which was not far from uh, the city of Athens, he tells them this. He did not come, or he says it's something like this, he did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, but Christ and him crucified. Not that he couldn't have come with excellence of speech, because he could do that. He was that kind of man. But he understood the people that he was around. And so he was willing to kind of just talk to the people and give them what they needed. And when he was at at Corinth, he knew that they just needed the simple gospel of Jesus. And yet we see him here with Athens, in Athens. And he understands that when he went to the synagogue, he spoke to them about the gospel. He spoke to them about the, the Messiah. But when he was out in the marketplace, and now that he's sitting before this council, he's going to take a different approach. You see, he understood the situation and he understood his audience. And there were some among the audience there that were intrigued by what he had said earlier. And they brought him to this place, and this is where he stood. He stood in the midst of these people. And so he appeals to where they are at. And he meets them on their level, which was a high level, if you will. Because of what he had, or what had provoked his spirit as he walked around there in Athens, he used that as a springboard. To share the gospel with the people. But what you don't hear in this portion of the text, in this situation, is any disgust in his tone towards the people he is talking to. Even though we know from our last study that he was grieved, he was provoked in his spirit because of what he saw, all the idolatry that was happening. He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't give them the satisfaction that he is that, that, that deep down inside he's disgusted with all of it. No, he uses it as a springboard. And he says, Men of Athens, I, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. I, I love the fact that Paul acknowledges these men from this council with a sense of honor and respect. Instead of coming at them and just kind of hitting them hard, he just kind of uses this whole situation and he he comes across with honor and respect. Even though, deep down inside, he is thoroughly disgusted, provoked, and grieved. And understand, he's not coming at them as phony. Phony. He understands the situation. But he is being wise as a serpent and gentle or harmless as a dove. As as he sees this open door because he understood the opportunity that was set before him and the people that he would be talking to. The word perceive means to be a spectator, a spectator of, i.e. discern, literally, figuratively, experience, or extensively, knowledge, behold, consider, look on, see, to ascertain, find out by seeing. That's what the word in the Strong's Concordance means, to perceive. He he saw it as a whole. He understood what what he was facing, not just when he was walking around Athens, but as even now as he's before these people. In other words, Paul was well aware of his surroundings, and he perceived This by the the observation of the form of their worship. In in passing through the city, he kind of saw all of this, even though it was dark and I would say even demonic in some sense. He he didn't let any of that faze him. I, I really can't imagine Paul being afraid of these idols. Oh, it disgusted him. But I don't think he was afraid. I, I don't think that he was walking by going, oh my goodness, oh, oh, oh. I, I don't think he did any of that. It didn't scare him as much as it saddened him. And and, and I think he understood the people because there, there was Jewish and Gentile people that were seeking after God. And, and it, his heart probably broke for them because they have to live among them but i think it saddened his heart that mankind these athenians had been so sucked into this whole worship of idols and so i i I believe that he his heart is more saddened even though it's grieved it's saddened towards these people And so he understood the situation. And he had come into the situation not to blow them away or to blow them out of the water, but to somehow find a way to minister to them where they live, on their level. And he says this, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. That that phrase, very religious, is one big and long Greek word that I won't even attempt to pronounce because I can barely pronounce even the small ones. But it means, this phrase, very religious, more religious than others, too or also too superstitious. That's that's from the Strong's Concordance. In the Thayer's Greek lexicon, it, it puts it more like this, fearing the deity or deities. One, in the good sense, reverencing God or these gods or gods, pious, religious, and two, in a bad sense, superstitious. And so the, the King James tells, uses the word, I perceive that you are very superstitious. Paul began wisely by acknowledging that they were very religious. And it was meant more as a compliment than anything else. As he begins to, to, to address them, or as he begins his address, as he opens it up. And the idea was that the Athenians were firm and and rigid in their reverencing of their deities. And so Paul chose this word very, very carefully, or this phrase. He understood what it meant to them as he said, I perceive, I've acknowledged, I see all that, that you guys are very religious. And he's using it in a positive light. And so upon hearing this, the men of Athens that he is speaking to, especially these intellects and of this council, their thoughts would have automatically have gone to their deities and their gods that they served. And they were so religious that they even had an altar to the unknown God. Just in case they they overlook some generous deity, some benevolent kind of God, just just in case they neglected this deity, how, how they might be able to worship that deity that they really didn't know, or how they might even help that deity. Again, most of the time we use the word superstitious in a bad sense, but not here. Paul was looking or was not looking to blame these guys or, or offend the, the men of Athens. Oh, no, he, he's using it in such a way that he has seen an open door, if you will, and, and this door, he wants to open it so wide that he can drive a Mack truck through it, you know? This, this whole thing could have sounded something like this. I, I perceive that you are greatly devoted to to reverence for religion, that it is a characteristic of the people to honor the gods, to rear altars to them, and to recognize the divine support in times of trial. And the proof of this is that you have an altar to the unknown God. I I really can't say that he's just like buttering them up. (laughs) But that almost kind of sounds like as he's doing this, he's not trying to be a phony. I think he's just going, you know, these guys, they really love their deities. How do I come in without just smacking them in the face? Even though he could have done that. Even though he could have just slapped them in the face and said, you guys are the stupidest people ever. As smart as you are, you're not that smart. Because you're, you're worshiping all these crazy false gods. He doesn't do that. He doesn't come at them that way. And I don't know if you've ever tried that. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever tried just knocking down somebody else's religion. Most of the time, and believe me, I've done that, they just shut the door and they won't hear a thing you say. And Paul, to me, is using wisdom in this situation to be able to see this open door that is before them because these people are lost. And so so he says, For as I was passing through and considering the object of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, To the Unknown God. The Amplified puts it like this, For as I passed along and carefully observed your object of worship, I came upon an an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. So so as Paul diligently contemplated what he saw and, and he notices this altar, and and I don't know if it was just a block and that was it, and it just the inscription. It, it couldn't have had anything on top of it, because they didn't know what they were worshiping. It, it wasn't like this form. It wasn't like any. It, it to me, it it was probably just a block, a stone with the inscription to the unknown god, and and you could put whatever you wanted on there in your mind's eye. But, but as he's contemplating this whole thing and he sees this and he knows or, or, or notices the, the altar to the unknown God, I'm, I'm sure that it kind of blew his mind in how, in how they wanted to placate, pacify, and, and appease any and all God's. Even if they could not identify it. But God would use this situation. And this is what I love. That Paul sees and he observes something that is going on in life. Particularly here in Athens. And he is walking through this and he notices something. And he's going to use it for God's advantage. Just like whatever we're going through today, what the, the, everybody's kind of like freaked out with life in general. Can God use something like that or, 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 is, or, or is this above God? Can, can you, in, in, in what you know about God, little or a lot, can you use this situation as you're observing the people around you? As, as, as you contemplate the situation in our lives, are you able to say, God, can you use this for your glory? What's the open door? Where can I find the open door? And again, right now, as people have to distance themselves, what's, what kind of open door do you have with your social media? Not to go and bash everybody, but to be able to use it and say, I perceive that you're going through this. I, I'm watching and I'm seeing, I've seen these posts come up, and, and you're kind of freaked out. Can I just pray for you? Can I just show you, can I just introduce to you the God that I know? You you see, this was the perfect time to bring up the one true living God. And maybe it would have been the only time for Paul to be able to bring up the one true living God. As he's looking around, he's going, God, I'm disgusted with all of these things that I see, all of these monuments and all of these shrines and all of these altars. I'm disgusted with it. And going, Lord, how do I use any of this? And then, boom, he sees the unknown God. He's going, Lord, I can use this. It it was probably the only time he was able to bring this up. And so this was the perfect setting for him. I'm sure Paul never thought of bringing up the gospel like this, the way he's going to do it. I mean, just walking around was turning his stomach. He, He could have easily just said, I am so disgusted with this that I don't even like these people. I, I, I don't even want to share with these people because they're so far out there. And I think oftentimes when we start thinking like that's in our own minds, we forget what we have come from. That people might have been disgusted with us. That, that we were doing stuff that was so foolish that other people could have turned their hearts away from us. And instead, instead, they, they found an open door to share with you and I. And, and what an opportunity, again, that we have in the situation that we're living in today. And so, as he saw it, as he was putting himself out there, God was going to give him the wisdom to use this for his glory. He says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, the one that you worship without knowing him, him I proclaim to you. (laughs) Having an altar to the unknown God was the perfect segue, if you will, to introduce the one true living God to them. And how can they deny it? Because, again, if they're thinking, like, well, there's a God that we don't know, and, 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 and who's to say that, that Paul is going to go, hey, well, I got that guy. I, got that, I know that God. That God that, that you've been thinking you've got to worship, I know who he is. I am going to proclaim it to you. <laughs> when Paul referred to this unknown God, he did not emphasize the altar But the ignorance, or or, yeah, the ignorance of the the true God because they didn't really know who he was. And and Paul is is letting them know that he knows who this God is. And he, God, won't be unknown to them anymore. (laughs) This unknown God is about to be known to them. And so in verse 24, it says, God, this this unknown God, God who made the heaven, or who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. One commentator said this, Every thinking person asks, Where do we come from? Why are we here? And where am I going? Still quoting this commentator, Science attempts to answer the first question. And philosophers wrestle with the second question. But only the Christian faith has a satisfactory answer to all three. God, God gives us the wisdom to answer these kinds of questions because everybody wants to know why or, or where did they come from? Why are we here and why, where are we going? And we have the answer. The Epicureans that we learned about a couple weeks ago in this chapter... The Epicureans, who who were basically atheists in their thinking, said that all was matter and matter always was. Whereas the Stoics, the other group that we talked about, said that everything was God. The spirit of the the universe, God did not create anything, but He only organized matter and impressed it on some, and impressed on on it some law and order. So that was the two schools of thought that Paul is dealing with here. And yet Paul boldly affirms and confirms in the beginning God. In other words, the God that I am proclaiming to you made the world and everything in it. And he is the Lord or master of all that he has made. So again, this is a new concept for them. I could guarantee you no one had ever said, hey, I know who that unknown God is. (laughs) But Paul, Paul comes on the scene and is like, dude, what an open door. (laughs) I get to share with them, I know who that God is that you guys are ignorant about. Not stupid about, but ignorant about. And he shares with them that this unknown God that he is proclaiming to them, the one he knows, he is not a a distant God. He is not divorced from his creation. Nor is he imprisoned, locked in to his creation. He, He is too great. He is too awesome. to to be housed by man-made temples. But He is not too great or too awesome to be concerned about your needs and your needs and your needs. In other words, He's introducing to them a God who is very, very personal. He's concerned about His creation because He created them. But you have to wonder how the council at this moment is reacting to Paul's statement about the temples. Because right there in the Acropolis that was there in Athens were several shrines dedicated to the goddess Athena. So you could imagine they're going, well, wait a minute, man. (laughs) It's almost like Paul is destroying their whole philosophy, little by little. <laughs> and he's just kind of hitting them, and they're going, wait a minute. What's the angle that this guy's bringing? Because he, he, he says, nor is God worshiped with, with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. In other words, God, He doesn't need to be served by human hands, as though though He lacks anything. And and, and again, the, the, the men of Athens, these people, they had to do and do and do for their deities. And yet He's saying, this God, He doesn't need any of that. Men may pride themselves in serving God but it is God actually who serves man. And if God is truly God then He is all sufficient. He is self-sufficient and needs nothing from us. From man. Not only do the temples not contain this God, this unknown God? But the service of the temples adds nothing to this God. So with these statements, Paul, again, being wise as a serpent and gentle and and harmless as a dove, has completely wiped out their entire religious system. That these, these men of Athens, and, and and not just the Athenians, but all of Greece. And he does it in the nicest possible way. Notice that, he, that his tone is not getting up. It's not coming at them. He's not just like hammering them. He's just kind of like, hey, I perceive these things. And he's doing it in such a way that he is just kind of like throwing in the gospel and, and sharing with them who God is, this unknown God that you erected a, 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 uh, not erected, but but have a stone for, a a pedestal for. This God doesn't need any of that. Since He is the one that gives life, all life, all breath, and all things. And so Paul continues to make the case That it is God who gives us all that we ever need. All of mankind, He gives us what we need life, breath, and all things. You see, God is the very source of every good and perfect gift, as it says in James chapter 1 17. He gives life and He sustains life by His goodness. It is the goodness of God that should lead all men to repentance according to Romans 2.4. But instead of worshiping the Creator and glorifying Him, man worships the creation and glorifies themselves as as it says in Romans 1. And that is what the people of Athens were doing. And Paul is introducing to them something that is so out of their realm because they've never really heard anyone like this. That can meet them on their level. That was able to to bring about this conversation. And so in verse 26 he says and he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And to and, to, uh, det- and, and has determined their appointed times and boundaries and the boundaries of their dwelling. The, the gods of the Greeks were distant beings, deities, who had no concern for the problem and the needs of men. And so Paul, in a sense, brings them back to the beginning. He brings them back to Adam. And this was a blow, if you will, to the Athenian pride. They were now sourced or traced back to the same origin or original creation as everyone else. And and the phrase, and he has made from one blood or, or from one man all of mankind, alluded to the fact that all the nations were made out of the same stuff. They all have the same blood. And in a sense, this was a huge insult to the Athenians. Because you see, the Greeks felt that they were better than everyone else. That they had this special race, different from all the other nations. But Paul affirms otherwise. Even their precious land that they thought was so amazing that they revered it, came as a gift from God, this unknown God. But the God of creation that Paul introduced to them is also the God of history and the God of geography. In other words, it is not the power of man, but the government of God that determines who rises and who falls, which nations rise and which nations fall. And if you remember, we're covering this when we're going through the book of Daniel, when Daniel was talking to, to Nebuchadnezzar. And he says to him in Daniel chapter 4, verse 32, Until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. This was a huge blow to the people who are listening to Paul. This unknown God that is being made known to them is the God that is not a distant deity. Paul says to them, he is not far from each of us. And he includes all of them. He just doesn't say he's not far from you. He says he's not far from each of us. Therefore, men ought to seek God. Grasp for him, grope for him, if you will, to come to know him in truth. And so he says in verse, in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being as also some of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Paul here quotes a poet by the name of Epimenides, where he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. And yet when you look at that, that, that wording, man, it, it, it just applies to who our God is. And yet it was a, a, a Greek poet who came up with that saying. And then he adds another quote from another poet that was closer to Paul. Erastus. And he is the one that said for we are all his offspring. And this just kind of goes to show us that Paul knew who the men of Athens were into. Who these philosophers were. In other words, Paul was an intellectual himself and he was able to to talk to them about some of the guys that they knew of and they probably respected. And I'm sure maybe at this time, maybe, possibly, that they were trying or maybe wanting to take back some of the insults that they said about him earlier, about being a babbler. (laughs) Now Paul... As he is quoting these people or these poets, is not saying, understand, he is not saying that all people on earth are the spiritual children of God. He's not saying that. Because every sinner only becomes a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But what he is affirming is the fatherhood of God, if you will, in the natural sense, that he is the creator and that we are all created in God's image. Therefore, he continues since we are all, since we are, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, is like gold, silver, or stone. Something shaped by art or men's devisings. So this led to a logical conclusion for Paul as he's sharing this. God made us in His image, and it would be foolish for us as men to make gods in our own image. You see, the Greek religion was nothing but a manufacturer or, or, or of, of Greek gods who were patterned after themselves, after men, and acted like men. Paul not only showed the foolishness of these temples and the temple rituals, but he's also showing them the foolishness of all the idolatry that they were into. I don't know if anyone had ever talked to the men of Athens in this way, in such a way that they are willing to sit there still and hear him. I'm sure there was others that maybe came their way and just bashed on them. They just shut them out and maybe threw them out. I don't know. But it seems like Paul is just letting them have it in such a way that they're just, they're just kind of sitting there going, "Thank you, sir. Can I have another?" Because it just seems like, man, he is just letting them have it. And yet they're like, okay, speak on. In verse 30, he says, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men to repent. As, as, as Paul is bringing this message to a close, and so am I, He he summarized the clear evidence of God's grace. Because for centuries, God has been patient with men's sins and their ignorance. In, In other words, God overlooked, not punished, the King James says, winked at, took no notice of, not attended to human ignorance. And it was revealed by the way they, they worshiped other gods and how they had idols instead. In that God was patient. And that doesn't mean that men were not guilty. But it, again, it showed the grace of God in that He held back His divine wrath for all these years. But now the gospel has gotten to them. Though the people are under God's wrath and are without excuse because of the natural revelation that God himself has given to all mankind, God in his forbearance, in his holding back, in his delay, left the sin committed beforehand unpunished and, and the Apostle Paul would lay, later write about these things in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 3. And let me just read a, a, a couple of those verses or a few of those verses. And, and in Romans 1 verses 18 to 20, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what was, what may be known to God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Romans three twenty one to twenty six. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate to all that to all to demonstrate that in the present time his righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, so throughout time, throughout time, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, the pagans, if you will, were responsible for this general revelation that had been given to them through creation as we just read in Romans 1. But in due time, God, this unknown God, sent a Savior, and now He commands all men to repent from their sins. And this Savior was killed and then raised from the dead. And one day He, this Savior, will return and judge the world. And the proof that He will return and judge the world was the fact that that He has the authority to judge because he, He is raised from the dead. Because he was appointed. He was appointed to do this. This one, the man whom he God has ordained, is the appoint is, is appointed by God the Father to judge the world in justice. According to John 522, where it says, For the Father judges no man but commits all judgment to the son. You see, when he got to this point and he's talking about the, the, this one raising from the dead, it was the doctrine of the resurrection that most of the council, the members of this council, could not accept. Because to the Greek person, the body was a prison to them. And the sooner they left their body, the happier they would be, they believed. And so why would would you raise the dead and have to live in that way again? That was their understanding. And why would this God bother with a personal judgment of each man? This kind of teaching was definitely uh, incompatible compatible with the Greek philosophy. They they just could not understand it. It just didn't mesh with them. You see, the Greeks, they believed in immortality but not in resurrection. They believed in justice but not in judgment. Interestingly enough, Paul here in verses 30 and 31 discussed the topic of, of sin, righteousness and judgment sin and telling them that they need to repent from it in, in in righteousness that they wanted justice and in judgment that they would be judged and this is the same area that jesus said the holy spirit would convict people in this world according to john sixteen five through 11 it says But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit comes he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because i go to my father and they see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged and when they heard of the resurrection in verse 32 and when they heard of the resurrection from the dead they mocked while others said we will hear you later on this matter. And so Paul departed from them. However, some men joined him and believed. Now, there was three different reactions to the message Paul gave them. Some laughed and mocked at him. And they didn't take the message seriously. Others were interested, but they wanted to hear more. And there was a small group that accepted what Paul preached. And they believed on Jesus Christ. And they were saved. And we have to wonder that maybe, possibly, maybe those who had postponed that decision eventually trusted in the Lord. I mean, we sure hope that they did. But never underestimate when you share with people and they mock. Some might be intrigued but not accept and other people might just want it right there and then. That's, that's, again, that's what happens all the time. Some think that Paul had taken the wrong approach here in Athens, as we close up here, because he took this intellectual approach instead of just preaching the simple gospel of Jesus Christ straight up. And part of that thinking that, that some might have is because we don't see the multitudes coming to Christ. We don't see Paul getting beat up or thrown in jail or that he was run out of town or anything like that. And so people think, well, he basically compromised because none of those things happened. And yet, I believe, I truly believe, that Paul did an amazing job in ministering the gospel because he knew who he was ministering to. And in that, In the end, some did believe. Some were intrigued, and yet others mocked. He was not surprised by any of that. But they heard the gospel. And I I really don't think that, that Paul held anything back when he shared any of that. Paul used this opportunity that was set before him, and he didn't back down. And besides, I I, kind of have to go back to the fact that, no, they came looking for him. (laughs) Going, hey, we need to take you over here so you can share what you know with these other guys. Guys, we have so much that is available to us. And, and, And my heart is that wherever we find ourselves, whether we're at home, whether we're at work, wherever we get to be at, Using social media the way we can use social media to be able to understand the opportunities that we have. Paul just didn't sit around and do nothing. Paul used every opportunity to share the gospel. And so should we. We have a great opportunity in this day and age, in the times that we are living in. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to bless you and thank you, Lord for our time together here, Lord. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would use this time, as we've shared your word, to to encourage one another, Lord. That, God, you would just truly, Lord God, help us understand, Lord, the situation we find ourselves in, that we would look for any way that there would be an open door, that we would be wise as serpents, and gentle or harmless as doves in our approach, Lord God, that we can penetrate the people that you set before us, whether in person or, or, or just on the phone or on social media, Lord, that we might be able, Lord God, to penetrate the hearts of people. Oh, we know that there will be those who, who mock. There will be those who are intrigued but, but do nothing, Lord. And and we know that there are people who are just waiting, especially in this day and age, for someone to share the gospel so that they can believe. And so we pray, God, that you go before us in the things that we do, the things that we say. We do honor you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I love you.